0: Great start of our service, man. Incredible song. Now, that last song is my favorite song in the world. Uh, my wife has instructions to play it at my funeral, okay? So we're going to rock and roll when I die, all right? But man, great song. I got to see a baptism, got to hear uh, the generosity of our people. By the way, you can't tell anybody that number, okay? Shh because we want people on Sunday to be surprised, okay? Now, some of y'all never kept a secret in your life, but we're counting on you, okay? Hey, I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but I have heard that um, doing a genealogy study is a whole lot of work and takes a lot of time and it can even get into some money. I've never done it, but I've heard of people who've done that. And uh, one of the great benefits of it is that the result of your work is you kind of find out uh, some of the ancestors and what they, what they did and who they were. And if you've ever done that, sometimes you run across, maybe you are related to a famous person somewhere, a celebrity or a, a politician, actor, athlete. And so that's a really cool thing. And then there's the chance that you might find out that you are related to a a knucklehead somewhere, maybe a criminal or a deadbeat dad. There's kind of a risk involved in that. Now, what you might not realize, many of you do, but some of you might not know, is that the genealogy of Jesus is listed two times in the Bible. There's two genealogies, a long list of all the ancestors of Jesus, And Matthew wrote one of those, and when Matthew wrote his, he wrote it from his uh, adopted father, Joseph's side, okay? And Luke wrote another one, and he wrote it from the mother of Jesus, Mary's side. And so it's really kind of cool, you got these two genealogies about our savior in there and there's a lot of great people in that list, man. You read through them go, I've heard about him, I know about that dude. And you read through there and then in one of them, there is a surprise. The great, 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 many greats, okay? Many great grandma of Jesus was a prostitute, the shady lady of Jericho. They called her Rahab. How would you like it? I mean, let that hit you for a second. How would you like it if your grandma was a prostitute? How would you like that? Some of y'all right now are not hungry anymore after thinking about that, are you? And to make this story even more outlandish is not only is this lady in the genealogy of Jesus But this questionable character is held up in the Bible on a pedestal as an example of faith. And yeah, you heard that right. If you don't know the story, you heard that exactly right. A prostitute is used by God to tell us how to live. That's right. It's in the Bible. And if this is your first time at Eastside... Or if this is your first time in a church, right now you're thinking, man, this is my kind of place right here. It is amazing story. And so one more time, I want you to see how this fits into the counsel of God for those of us who want to live for our Savior. Once again, look at this verse. We looked at it for a month. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Everybody wants God to say, I'm so proud of you, man. I'm so proud of you. Well, how do you do that? You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. You, you don't have faith, you do not please God. It's impossible. So what this author does, you're all masters of this. You know now what he does in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. He says, let me tell you about some people who figured that out. They found out what faith was, they learned how to live it out, and they gave all these examples, man, of these great men and women who live by faith and receive the pleasure of God. And the Hebrews author is basically saying, find out what their stories are and make them your story. Okay, so we've been doing that all month. The last specific example that the Hebrews author gives of a person living by faith and receiving the pleasure of God is a prostitute. Her name is Rahab. And she went from prostitute status to faith status. She made that kind of example. The great preacher Tony Evans called it, from the house of shame to the hall of fame. I love that analogy. And so here's how the Hebrews author writes it. In one verse, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And that's all he wrote about it. Now, for those of us who know the story, you look at it and say, that's all I need to know because I know the story. And the reality is not everybody knows the story. And so sometimes it's good to hear these things and say, "Let's kind of do a Clysno's version about it." And let me show you what this story was about all the way back in the Old Testament. Now we talked about it last week. You know, historically, because you're good at that here at Eastside, uh, Israel is in bondage in Egypt. Okay, and God wants him to get them out of Egypt, lead them to the Promised Land of Canaan. We talked about that last week. And so God gets them out of Egypt, and they start heading to the promised land of Canaan. They get on the edge of Canaan. They are ready to jump in and claim the land that God has given them. And Moses says, I need 12 of y'all to go in there, sneak in, find out what we're up against, and come back and report. And the 12 go in, 12 spies. And if you know the story, they all come back, and 10 of them say, we ain't got a chance, man. They're giants. They're going to kill us. and there were two saying, Hey, with the power of God, we can make it happen. And the 10, the negativity of the 10, just overtook the whole country of Israel. And that is what led those people to believe, We don't think we can do it. We don't think it's going to happen. And they got scared. And God just got ticked off about it. And so God said, I'm done with y'all. And he made them wander out in the desert for 40 years. And the reason, because God was saying, Why don't you all go out in the desert? And when all of you die, Okay, when all of you die, then I'm going to bring the next generation, and we're going to get in there. And so 40 years pass, and most all of them die, and now we got a new generation of people. And so here they go. They're going to go up there, and they're going to go to the edge of it, and they're going to take it out. And the guy leading the deal now is Joshua. Here's the cool thing about that. Don't miss this. Joshua, some of you all know that, on the spies, the committee of 12, he was one of the two that said, we can do it. And so God let him live. And now Joshua's running the show, man, and they're right there. They're going to go in. They're going to take Jericho. We talked about it last week. They're ready to go. And then Joshua remembers. Now, 40 years ago, we were right here, and we sent in some spies. And so Joshua said, oh, God will give me some spies. And he went and got two spies. Why two? Why two? This is big, this is really important. Why two? Because he remembered 40 years ago the committee of 12 and we had 10 whiny nineties in there and we ain't gonna deal with that anymore. Just give me two of the most faithful guys we got. All I need is two to go in there. And he picks two faithful men. Now I think there's a powerful point in that, a really powerful point. And that is that sometimes life isn't going well with you and the solution is to break off all the turkeys you've been hanging out with. Sometimes fools hold you back. Am I right? Am I right? And so what Joshua says is, we ain't gonna do that again. Give me two rock stars. And they go in, they come back, and they said, we can make it happen. And when they go into the land to sneak in at night, they found a house, looked like a hotel for travelers, and they went in and spent the night there. And once they got in there, they found out it was a brothel run by a prostitute named Rahab. Of all the hotels to pick, that's the one you pick. And so the news gets out in the city of Jericho that Israel has sent spies. And the king said, that ain't happening in my city. And so he sends the military to the brothel. Says, bring them out. We're going to take them out. And Rahab, who's running the joint, hides them. And tells the military, yeah, they were here, but they ain't here now. They didn't laugh. They went down that road over there. If I was you, I'd go down that road over there. All the way down that road there. They were all the way down there. And the military take off. And Rahab hid the spies. And when the military took off, then Rahab got together. Do you see what we're talking about? Is God honored a lion prostitute, Okay. And so Rahab gets with the spies and says, hey, let's make a deal because I know you're coming in. You're going to take it out. And, and I'm worried about that. And the, and the spies said, I'll tell you what, Rahab, because what you did, you take this little cord, this little scarlet cord, and you just, you just put it in your window. And then when we come in, we're going to see that cord. And we're going to save everybody in that house. And everything else is going out. Now, you know the story because we talked about last week. So they start walking around the city, they do it seven times, seven days, seven different times, wall falls down, Israel comes in, cleans house, but they see the scarlet cord in that house. And they go in there, And they save everybody in the house. They spare them all. Everybody's okay. Rahab is one of them. And listen to this, listen to this. Rahab, the prostitute, is one of them. And she is saved. And she ends up marrying a Jewish man named Salmon. And one of their grandsons, several generations down the line, ends up being the savior of the world. How do you come up with a story like that? And that's exactly what the story is, this incredible story. And so when the Hebrews author is writing about faith, years and years later, and he says, I just want God I want God to be pleased with you. You want that, and you gotta be a person of faith for that to happen, and he's just writing with passion in Hebrews 11, and he says, let me tell you about some people who are doing it, man, and learn from them, be their story, and the last one, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Dude, you gotta be like the prostitute, Rahab. Unbelievable story in the Bible and it's okay if you're hearing that right now, and even if you've heard it before, it's okay for you right now to ask, we're not gonna be hit by a lightning bolt. How in the world did that get in the Bible? Why on earth would God pick her as an example? Why? Well, if you think through that, I think what I found from it, is that there are some reminders in that story that Christians need to hear. And if you're a Christian in this room right now, what I'm about to show you in the story, you probably already know. But sometimes Christians need to be reminded of things that we already know because somewhere along the line, we've leaked them out of our memory. And so because of that, if you're a child of God, let me just kind of remind you of some things that the prostitute Rahab taught in her story. Here's one, and I think it's huge. Check it out. Your past does not define you. Can somebody say amen to that? Okay? Your past does not define you. And if you went back into the actual story of Rahab that is told in Joshua chapter two, you find that there is a critical turning point in this story. And so she has misdirected the the military and now she's in negotiations with these two spies and I wanna read for you what she says to them. She says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you And that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Now listen carefully. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That was huge for her to say that. She was a Gentile who worshipped other gods and she'd come to this point in her life where she realized that the only God, the only God that is true is the God of the Hebrews, the God of the creation. And she made a profession of faith about her belief in God. And at that second there was a turning point. At that very second something happened. Rahab's past became insignificant and her future as a follower of God became her story. And that ought to happen to those of us who know Christ. I got a, um, I got a voicemail the other day. And it was from one of the members in our church. And... Uh, he said on this voicemail, he said, my whole life I have been embarrassed and ashamed of my past. And he started talking about it. 30 years of addiction, six years of incarceration. I mean, that's hard to get those demons out of your head. And he said, I've been embarrassed about all that for my whole life. And he said, I, I don't know what happened, but I, I came came to church, and he was talking about the previous weekend, and he came in this room right here. And he said, I stood in the back, and I don't know why it happened, but he said, it just came over me. And I began to realize what I have in my relationship with God right now and how strong that is and how this is my family and I have support and love and relationships with so many people engaged in God's family here. And he said, it just struck me right there that I have no shame anymore. I want to remind you that that's your story. That if you're a Christian, your past does not define you in any way. And I found it interesting when I started thinking about that, that I went back to Hebrews 11, I started looking at all these examples of men and women that God put in the Hall of Fame. And if you've ever read through Hebrews 11, I challenge you to do it and make note that of all the people that were mentioned by the Hebrews author, he never mentions their mistakes. He only mentions their victories. Read it, it'll mind you. Noah, drunkard, never mentioned. Abraham lied about his wife, two times, never mentioned. Sarah doubted God's power, laughed in his face, never mentioned it. Moses, murderer, never mentioned it. David, adulterer, never mentioned it. The same thing carries into the inception of the church in the New Testament. Peter, the guy who led Jewish people to Jesus, if it wasn't for Peter, there is no church, he was the guy denied even knowing Jesus three times. Paul, the guy who led Gentiles in, you're probably a Gentile. You ain't here if it wasn't for Paul, murderer. God looked at people who said, I want to walk with you, Father, and God made the determination that from now on, the lenses in which I look at you are forward, not backward. Your past does not define you. So let me remind you this way. This is a beautiful way to think of it. When you live in relationship with God, your past failures fade, your current righteousness becomes your status, and your future hope is cast in stone. Can somebody say hallelujah about that? Your past does not define you. And see, there's some of us in the room right now saying, dude, you don't know what I did. And I don't know what you did. But he knows, and let me tell you what he said about you. Here's one thing he said. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said, I don't know, I don't know. Well, let me tell you something else he said. As far as the east is from the west, so far he, is, he removed your transgressions from you. As far as the east is from the west. I don't know about y'all, that's pretty far distance. He so said, I don't know. Well, let me tell you something else. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Absolutely pure. I don't know, I don't know. Well, let me keep on going if you don't believe me yet. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled. Watch this, watch this. To cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And if you belong to Christ, and you feel guilty right now, can I tell you that's coming from the demonic world and it's not coming from heaven because your past does not define you. Thank you, Rahab, for reminding us of that. Now, if that didn't do anything for you, let me show you another uh, quick reminder that she gave us. And her story reminds us of this. Your actions do reveal you. Now, let that kind of mess with you a little bit, okay? Okay. Your, your past doesn't define you, but your actions tell people who you really are. I I ran across one of those things recently that that I I just loved. It was an actual manuscript of a court proceeding uh, from court recorders. And so if you hunt for that stuff, you can find those things out there. And they said this one's true. I don't know if it's true or not, but I thought, man, it probably is. And in this particular, it was a court setting in which an attorney was just drilling, man, was just peppering a physician about a medical case. And let me read for you the actual court court proceedings. The attorney said this, Doctor, Before you performed the autopsy, did you check for a pulse? The doctor said, no. Did you check for blood pressure? No. Did you check for breathing? No. So then, is it possible the patient was alive when you began the autopsy? No. How can you be so sure, doctor? Because his brain was sitting on my desk in a jar. (laughs) But could the patient have still been alive nonetheless? Yes, it is possible he could have been alive and practicing law somewhere. Now, my apologies to our attorney friends in the church. We're making humor at your expense. It's kind of like Abraham Lincoln. Better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Now, that comes up in Rahab's story here as a reminder to Christian, and it kind of fits in this idea of not being so encouraging, okay? The whole thing about your past ought to encourage you. This becomes a bit convicting. So I want you to watch this very carefully. Just like our words reveal who we are. okay? So your words can reveal you're a fool. Your actions even more reveal who you are. Now let me show you that in the story. Everybody stay with me. So it all happens in Joshua 2. That's where it happens. And then years and years later when the author of Hebrews is writing about faith he remembers that story and he says, Man, that's an example about this lady Rahab. And he uses Rahab the prostitute's example. But it comes up at another time in the New Testament. And it comes up by a guy by the name of James and James writes a letter in the New Testament, and in the second letter of James, that's one of those chapters I've talked to you about. There's chapters in the Bible that everybody ought to know about. First Corinthians 13, love chapter, okay? Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Uh, Psalm 139 is the chapter about the word of God, and so there's places in the Bible that talk about that. James chapter two is the whole context in which James, who is the brother of Jesus, said this that faith can always be seen in how you live. And he made the statement that faith without works is dead. And so James is trying to present that idea that if you say you're a person of faith, that means people can see it in how you live. And James was talking to people who say, well, I just, I just say I love, I love God, man. I just believe in God, but now don't pay attention to my life. Don't watch what I do. I just love God. And James says, that, that, that didn't count. Faith can always be seen. And so he makes that point in James 2, and he says, he, I can see him when he's writing. Hey, let me give you an example. Let me show you an example. And he writes, guess what? About Rahab. He brings up the prostitute again. And I want you to see what he said about her. Watch this, this is huge. He said, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous, everybody look at this, for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. He used Rahab as an example to remind us that your actions reveal the real you. Not your words. How you live says who you really are. Now stay with me here because I, I just think it's fascinating. And, and if you're tired, you're gonna miss it, okay? I, I, you're just gonna miss it, okay? So go ahead and fog out for a second. For the, 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 the people that really love Jesus, hang here, okay? To watch this, Okay. Now, catch this, because I just think it's earth-shattering. The very first sermon that Jesus gave that we can tell is called the Sermon on the Mount. Let's just say that he said it in 30 A.D. Let's just give that that right around there, okay? 30 A.D., Sermon on the Mount. Now, if we advance about 150 years, so around 180, as we think it happened, right around 180, 280, the leaders of the church in Rome, okay, So now the church is starting to move in Asia Minor and the city of Rome got a church and so the leaders get together and they wrote something called the Apostles' Creed. And some of you all may have come from churches that recite the Apostles' Creed when you come to church and you just kind of all recite it together. So we got the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus 150 years later, we have the Apostles' Creed written by leaders in the church. Now let me say this, and if it doesn't knock you off your seat, you ain't listening. The Sermon on the Mount is 100% about behavior and not one word about what we believe. The Apostles' Creed is 100% about what we believe and not one word about how we behave. What happened is we lost what Jesus was trying to teach us. Your actions are who you really are, not what you say. Your actions reveal the real you. So let me, um, let me jump under your grill And cause some temporary damage. Here we go. So you might say that you believe marriage is between only a man and his wife. That's what I believe. And I would suggest the greater question is, are you faithful to your wife? Are you faithful to your husband? And you might say, God is the most important thing in all the universe, man. There is not one thing, no person, no body more important than him. And I'd say, man, that sounds good, I'm glad you said it. But the greater question is, is where do you put God in your checkbook? Where do you put God on your weekend schedule? Where do you put God in your choice of entertainment? See, what you say you believe doesn't reveal who you are. What you do tells us who you are. And so you might say that you believe Christians are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I would say, you are dead on, man. Those are the exact words of Jesus. But then I would say the greater question is, does salt and light come from the language that you use? Does salt and light bounce off the screen of your social media page? The salt and light fill the air of the room from the attitude that you profess at work? Your actions reveal who you really are. Thank you, Rahab, for the example. Now, let me give you one more. And this one's gonna make you mad, but next week it's gonna be Father's Day and you're gonna love me again, okay? So this one's gonna irritate us a little bit, but uh, let, me, let me throw it out here. Your tribe will bless you for generations to come. Now, I want to show you this. I'm going to be quick. We're going to be done here pretty quick, okay? Here's the bottom line of the whole Rahab story. If I had put it in one sentence, three words, here it is. Rahab changed tribes. She's a Gentile. She worshiped Gentile gods her whole life. And on this occasion, she joined hands with the creator God and his people and she changed tribes. And the moment she changed tribes, the moment she left what she used to have and she now is a part of this company that believed in the creator God, the moment she came into that tribe there was an anointing that fell down upon her And her children, and her children's children, and her children's children's children, and several generations kept going down on and on under the anointing of God until the unusual birth of a baby boy to a teenage mom who would become the hope of the world. All because you changed your tribe. Now, what's that mean? Well, let me irritate you now. In first point of our Pathway class that we do, the very first part of that, we talk about what Jesus did for us on the cross and how we respond to that. And we give our life to follow Jesus and get baptized. And that's all the first part of first point at Pathway. And then we take a break. And we have some refreshments and hang out. And then we come back and we have a second half of first point in Pathway. And in my opinion... What happens in that moment, in that second half of the class, and I'll get some ribbing for this, but I don't care, but I want you to listen. In my opinion, that is the single most important thing that happens in every part of this church's ministry. And here's why. Because this is what we say. If you try to do this Jesus thing alone, you Will fail. That's what we say. Because God has designed us to live in community. God has designed us to be in relationship with other Christian people. God has put us together where we will support each other and love each other and be there for each other and help each other and have joy with each other. God put it all together so that we would have a tribe that would offer that to us and we would offer that to them. And you don't have what you need inside of you to live for Jesus without that tribe. You weren't made that way. And that community, that tribe, is the church of Jesus Christ. It's where we come together and build relationships and worship our Father together. And we're here together to provide joy and hope and hold hands when we hurt. And Rahab's story comes into play for us because when you establish that community, please hear me. There is an anointing that falls upon you and your family that passes on for generations and generations and generations and generations because you became part of the tribe. And Rahab would stand before you and say, you have no idea of what the anointing of God can bring in your family generations later. You have no idea. Now here's the reverse of that. For those who say, I'm gonna try this without the tribe. I have been doing what I've been doing for more than four decades I've had a front row seat to watch people give their life to Christ. And I want to tell you, I have never seen Christian faith work outside the tribe. I've never seen it work. Not for one person. I don't have one example of one person who lived for God and said, I'm not going to be a part of the church. And the bad news doesn't end for them in the demise of their own faith because it's impossible to live it without the tribe. The horror of it all, watch this, the horror of it all is that if I choose not to have the tribe, I'm not gonna be a part of the tribe, I'm not gonna meet with the tribe, I'm not gonna get together with the tribe when the tribe get together, I'm not gonna be a part of the tribe. Watch this, it's not only my own demise, but it put a, puts a block in my family anointing for generations to come. And it's not just hurting you. It's hurting the people you love the most who are coming after you. And Rahab learned that. And she devoted herself to the father of the tribe and the savior of the world came out of that anointing. I love my family more than anything I love in all of this earth. And the greatest thing that I can do for my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and great 10,000 times down the line, the most important thing that I can do for them is to make sure that I'm engaged with the tribe. That's an incredible reminder from Rahab. Now let me throw a funny story about it to you and we'll be out of here. I was having a conversation with our uh, worship pastor a couple days, Aquila, and we got, a, we got a tight relationship. We talk about that in First Point, and we're more than coworkers. We're brothers. We're friends. We love each other, and, and we can get real with each other. We can get real with each other sometimes in a way that maybe we can't with somebody else, and we were talking uh, together, and we were talking about how sometimes some people treat us Christians. And sometimes people don't treat us very well. And you know that. And the Bible has some places where God does not take lightly how people treat his children. He doesn't take lightly to that. And so we were having that conversation about how sometimes you stand up for your faith and somebody, you know, says something to you or whatever. And so we were just having a conversation. And it led to the idea where there were times, although they don't happen very often, where people may attack pastors, treat us bad, talk bad about us, do bad things to us. And, um, and sometimes we might deserve some of that criticism, but I'm telling you, not all the time. And once again, there are places in the Bible that are somewhat frightening when it talks about what God does to people who attack his servants He does not take that lightly. Read what God did to some of the people who killed his prophets. And so he and I were talking about that. And I said, dude, I want to tell you something happened to me the other day. And I'm uh, I'm in line at a red light. I don't know, I'm third, fourth car back. And I'm looking at my phone. I know I shouldn't be looking at my phone. I'm looking at my phone, the red light, you know. And and, uh, then I hear this beep. And I look, you know, back, there's a guy back there. I look up and I was looking at my phone and I, you know, missed the green light. So the car in front of me, probably 50 feet up. And so, you know, I caused us all to lose five seconds of our life. And this guy behind me lost his mind. And he came around me and was honking and screaming and was giving me the, you know, double one finger Hawaiian hello. It just, ah! And and I shared with Aquila, I'm going to tell you, here's what I thought. Dude, you have no idea who I work for. (laughs) I hate to be you later today. I don't know what's going to happen, but... And the message of rehab is the reverse of that. What if a person looks to the people of God, the church, and says this? That's now my tribe. I'm committed to this tribe. I'm devoted to this tribe. I'm not gonna turn my back on this tribe. I'll be here when this tribe gathers. I'll work when this tribe works. This is my tribe. And Rahab's story says that God Places an anointing on that that will last for generations in your family. Father, thank you so much. Although we all have different stories. Thank you that you have invited us to your tribe. And someday, a million years from now, we'll all know the story of our ancestry, our faith ancestry. And we will be humbled at what you gave to us when you opened the door for your tribe. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Would you give it up for the Word of God? The Word of God. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for being here. Night of worship tomorrow. Uh, Offering boxes in the back. Guests, head on out there. We'd like to meet you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.